Good morning. How's everybody doing today? We're glad you're all here today. We uh, welcome you all out. Tim is going to be out of town for the next two weeks. So uh, I am going to be, I guess, closing out this series on Get Out. And uh, they said I could do a, a new series, a two-week series of whatever I wanted to come up with on my own. But that would require the design of a new bulletin cover. And that's not something I do. So uh, we're going to stick with the old series and continue on with it. And the whole point of the series is, and I'm going to take a little bit different direction today, and I'll get to that in a minute, but the point of the series is to get out, you know, um, to get out of this building. That our faith is not meant to be something that only shows up or exists or is visible on a Sunday morning inside this building or, or any time just inside this building. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, that is a 24-7 job. It is something you are to do all day, every day, and to, to impact every area of your life. And in the past, we've tried to get people to come to the building. That's kind of, come check us out. We've had so many things here at the building. And we're trying to just tr- change our paradigm and to look at things differently and to get out of here and to go be light and salt in the world uh, the way Jesus told us to be. And so that's what the series is about. And today, um, you know, I was deciding what to talk about. And I just, I just came up with something. I think Tim, or Alan actually suggested it to me. And uh, it's a little bit different twist on the get out. But today we just want to talk about get out of the way. Now, normally when you hear that, it's a part of a longer, larger phrase, a longer phrase. Normally you hear it as, lead, follow, or get out of the way. You've heard that before? And it comes off a little harsh. Normally that's said by, by a, a somewhat dictatorial leader or authoritarian type of leader who, who just wants people to follow or to get on board with what they're doing or to not be in the way. And it's a nice way of saying, if you need to get out of the way, you're not on board. And I don't see a lot of Jesus talking that way, uh, though he does say to get out of his way. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But um, what you do see when Jesus, Jesus didn't talk a lot about being leaders. If you look at what he has to say, there's a song out that nowadays. It's by 10th Avenue North, I believe is the name of the Christian group. And they have a song, I believe it's called What You Want. And there's a phrase in it, and it says, So many leaders, you called for followers. And guys, I believe that in a lot of places, in a lot of areas of Christianity today, there's too much focus on leadership, and not nearly enough on us being followers of Jesus. Now I understand that that's the goal of leadership within churches, is to get people to be followers of Jesus. But as individuals... Our focus needs to be on learning to follow Jesus. Amen? That is what we are supposed to be doing. And guys, we wanted to look at a situation today. It's in Matthew chapter 16. There is a verse in your notes. But it's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. And it says, But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle in my way. Because you are not thinking the thoughts of God, but those of men. And so guys, here you have a situation where Jesus is telling Peter, get out of my way. And what's that all about? You know, Jesus is saying it's a little bit different story. 
And so what I want to do to begin with today is I want to go back to Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, uh, I welcome you to encourage you to follow along because I want to present the whole picture. I want to picture the context of what's going on here with Peter and with Jesus. I think that's very significant. And I encourage you anytime you hear any Bible verse that is quoted that intrigues you or interests you or you have a question about, go back and look at the whole context of what's going on there. I heard a verse quoted on the radio the other day that I didn't know existed in, in, in the Psalms. And so I wanted to go back and I read the whole chapter, the whole Psalm, to see what it was talking about. And guys, that's what we want to do here today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in verse 13 of Matthew 16. This is what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now I added a little emphasis and emotion when I read that last part. Because when you, when you read that, don't you just see Jesus being excited? I mean, especially when you, when you know other things that have happened. There were times where he talked to his disciples and he goes, there's much I want to tell you, but you're slow to learn. You know, other times he just likes saying, you don't, you don't get it. And they have to come to him and say, explain this to me. In this situation... He's curious what's going on, what's in their minds, and Peter's got it right. And not only does he got it right, he didn't get it right on its own. He got it right because it was revealed to him by God. He's got a connection with God that honestly Jesus seems a little surprised at, but he's excited about. Let's continue on. In verse 20 it says, Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that He was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. Never, Lord, He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person 
according to what they have done. Guys, when you look at that story in context, there's a whole lot going on there. There's a whole lot more than just Jesus using some rough language, calling Peter Satan and telling him to get out of his way. And guys, it's amazing when you look at that because it is such a contrast. You know, Peter is one of what I like to call the big three of the apostles. You know, it's Peter, James, and John. He is one of the three that Jesus seems like gave a little bit extra special attention to. There were times when he took them with him and not the other nine. Specifically on um, what we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus went up and his body was literally transformed into some other form, and Moses and Elijah showed up and they were discussing things. There were nine of the apostles didn't get to see that. Peter was one of them that did. And he, he gets a little bit more special attention. And at the same time, you find out that it's not just that he's getting attention, but that he's taking advantage of it. You see, guys, elsewhere Peter talked about, he said to Jesus, he says, we've left everything to follow you. You see, he wasn't just going through the motions of following Jesus. He had sacrificed. It says he had left everything. Guys, he was willing to go to it. He was putting in the effort. He had a connection with God where God revealed to him that Jesus is the Messiah. Nobody else did that. Jesus had just said. And Jesus is praising him for having this revelation, for being able to see it, for accepting it. And then literally, minutes later perhaps, he has the gall to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. I mean, basically what he's saying is, Jesus, you got it wrong, buddy. This ain't going to happen. And we don't know what his motive is. I mean, he's telling him, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to die. And then I'm going to raise the life three days later. Who knows what he's saying? I, I personally think he's probably going, not on my watch. Jesus, I got your back. Nobody's going to arrest you. Nobody's going to make you suffer. Not when me and the sons of thunder... James and John are here. We'll take this into our own hands. This isn't going to happen. And what's the problem? What's the problem? How can, how can you go from having things so right to Jesus calling you Satan? Well, the truth of the matter is, guys, that's just the nature of being human and of trying to follow Jesus. I guarantee you, that everybody in this room, including myself, in some area of their life, is getting in Jesus' way right now. If Peter could do it, so could we. And I don't know, it's like, so could we? So are we. And so guys, I think it's significant that we look at this and we say... How, number one, we want to talk about how can we get in Jesus' way. And number two, how can we get out of the way? I think that's pretty important. And so, uh, how do we get in the way? One of the things we need to understand, guys, uh, two things. Number one is Jesus has something very specific in mind for you. Do you know that? You say, get out of, get out of the way. Jesus has a mission for you. 
And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But He has something He wants you to do. And you're either going to work with Him or you're going to work against Him. And you want to know the, the distinguishing characteristic. You want to know if you're working with Him or working against Him. You find it in this verse here. It says what? He says, because you are not thinking the thoughts of God, but those of men. When you're thinking thoughts of God, when your thoughts agree with God, you are working with Jesus. And when your thoughts are the thoughts of men, as Peter's were when he took Jesus aside to rebuke him, you're in Jesus' way. And that's, that's the distinguishing line here. That's what Jesus says. Your thoughts are the problem. Your words came from your thoughts, and the problem is your thoughts. And so guys, we wanted to look at this a little bit closer. Um, there's a couple passages about when we look at how can I be in Jesus' way. There's a couple passages where I believe Jesus defines it a little bit clearer for us. It's in a parable that He told called the parable of the soils. And he, lists, he, gives, he tells about four different seed being thrown on four different types of soil. The, the seed is the Word of God. These different types of soil. There was rocky soil. There was shallow... Oh, there was the, I'm sorry. There was the path. There was rocky soil. There was thorny soil. And there was good soil. And I believe that a lot of us as followers of Jesus, we fall into... We're really thorny soil. We've got things in our lives that are getting in the way of God's Word bearing fruit in our life. And I want to look at two passages that describe this thorny soil. The first one is in Luke chapter 8, and verse 14. It said, The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. In Mark 4, another telling of the same story or is this. It says, But all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Guys, we want to talk about, what we want to go through these passages, but we want to talk real quick just in general about what thorns do. You know, when you have a plant that's growing and you have thorns that are there, Jesus is very clear. It says that they choke out what's going on. The plant doesn't die. The plant doesn't wither up. It just fails to become all that it is supposed to become. It fails to bear fruit. And it does that because the thorns choke out resources. They steal resources. They steal water. They steal nutrients. They steal sunlight. They get in the way. They block the resources from being there. And guys, I really want to focus on two resources that I believe, if you want to know, know if you want to get out the bleh, two resources that I believe thorns in our life choke out and steal from us that cause us to get in Jesus' way. And those two resources are our time, number one, Thorn eat up our time. Thorns in our life eat up our time. And number two is they eat up our thoughts. That's very specifically what Jesus is getting at here, is the thoughts. And we'll look at that. So, how can I get in Jesus' way? The first way I can get in Jesus' way is by worrying. That's what He says here in these passages. He says, 
the worries of this life. You want to know what worry is? Worry is just excessive thought. You want to know if you're worrying, you're consumed by something. Something is dominating your thoughts. Consuming your thoughts. A side effect is something that we like to call stress. I'm sure no one's familiar with that but me. Guys, worry, and I've confessed this already. I'll continue to confess it because it's just true. I have a real struggle with worry. God has shown me that. You know, I thought I had that lit, you know, in my early 50s and in business for myself for over 20 years and God's taking care of me. What's to worry about? He's always taking care of me. And then He sent us on a new business venture and all of a sudden I got a little worried. I didn't get a little worried. I got a lot worried. I was pinging the stress meter. Wondering how, you know, it was consuming my thoughts. How do I keep this car wash running optimally? Will it ever make what it's supposed to make? Oh my goodness, it's a bucket of bolts that's falling apart that nobody's maintained. And oh my goodness, you fix one thing and two others break. I've got a list on my iPad of all the things that need done. And a couple nights ago, I guess it was last week sometime, we're going to bed. Susan and I are in bed. We said goodnight. And I'm laying there and I'm laying my head on my pillow. I let out a sigh and I go, someday. And what I'm going to sleep thinking is someday that list will be small. Someday that list will be just of improvements, not of things i got to fix before the place falls apart. I mean, that is the worry that, you know, if you don't fix stuff, it's going to just all of a sudden break and you won't be open. And how long will you not be open? And what's it going to take to fix it? And all these thoughts go through my head. And Susan, and when I said someday, she said, what's that all about, you know, and so I tell her what's going on, and she says, and I, and I, we were just talking a little bit, and I said, you know, there's, I have, the problem, the struggle is I have to give this attention. Okay? If I'm not, I'm negligent. I'm irresponsible and perhaps even lazy. So I have to give it attention. I don't believe that God says, ignore it completely. Ignore it completely. He doesn't say that. What he says is, give it the right amount of, amount of attention. Don't obsess over it. Don't be consumed by it. Don't let it eat you alive. Guys, that's what worrying is all about. And guys, a lot of times, honestly, worrying is a matter of, you know, you've heard about this. How many, we always talk about we want to be in control, don't we? So, so that's what we worry about is how we can take control of it. See, my way of taking control is getting everything fixed. You know, that's me taking control. Then I don't have to trust God. You see, right now, I've got to trust God that that place ain't going to fall apart, or, it's, or if it does fall apart, it's still going to make enough money to pay the, pay, pay the bills. But if I had everything fixed, there wouldn't be much faith. And guys, you have to look at that. And so that's when you're starting to worry. Is you, is, is, is you, you, you're taking control of things. Second thing, guys. Second thing there is how you know you're getting in God's way. Is, or what, what are the thorns that get in, get in your way of following Jesus? Is getting ahead financially. That's what it says here. The cares and riches and pleasures of this life. The worries of this life. 
the lure of wealth. I'd ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are concerned about retirement? Young people. How many of you are concerned about your health in the future? And being able to pay for health care. It's the number one thing I hear about when I talk to people because I'm of this age. I ask friends rather frequently, how quick are you going to retire? When do you look at retiring? Well, I'd retire now except for the cost of insurance. Guys, these are problems of the wealthy. Do you know that? I mean, seriously, most parts of the, parts of the world, retirement isn't an issue. It's not an option. It's not a consideration. In Jesus' day, it wasn't. I give it thought. I give it concern. Is it a distraction for me? There are times that it is. You see, guys, we live in a world that requires money. You have to have money to exist. I suppose you could go buy you a little piece of land and exist off of it, but you still have to do things. You still have to buy, you know, buy supplies. You still have to pay your, pay your property taxes. You still have to pay income taxes. You have to have money. It's not a matter of whether we have it, but it's a matter of what kind of focus we have on it and what kind of attention we give it. And not only that, who likes having money? Who, who, would, who would love to exist on a surplus of money? Meaning you have more money than you need. Okay? Who sits around and daydreams about what you'd do if you had more money than what you need? I have a, I have a, uh, I get emails from my favorite, um, catalog, I guess you would say. I use, they, they do come in the mail. Oh, I get Bass Pro Shop, that doesn't really interest me all that much. Cabela's, no. Gander Mountain, no. But there's this independent place called the Sportsman's Guide. And it's, it's, I don't know why I like it, but I get emails. And literally, I will get two and three emails a day. Love looking through the clearance items. Love looking at all this stuff. You want to know my fantasy for financial security? Is I can buy whatever I want from the Sportsman's Guide. You know, a hammock that hangs from the tree that's got a mosquito fly on it. That would be great. I mean, he's got army surplus stuff. You know, uh, the, the MRE meals, you know, the meals ready to eat, the military things. That'd be cool to have a few of those on hand. That's what I think now. Yeah, till you eat them. Until <laughs> you have to eat them. Guys, that's my fantasy. Why? The truth is, I want more than I need. It's not that is God going to provide enough for me to live on. The tension I'm wanting to give is, am I going to have enough to have what I want? That's what eats up thought. That's what eats up time and thought. Third one, what gets in the way? And that's having a good time. In Mark there, in the verse it said, the pleasures of this life. Guys, when I think of the pleasures of this life, it's just what occupies your thoughts and your minds that you enjoy. Now I want to see a raise of hands on this. Who in the audience has no idea what Pokemon Go is? No idea. Okay? 
I think one of those people were under the age of 50, okay? That's fine. Pokemon Go is a new app that you get on your phone. It's a game that a number of the younger, younger generation, it was, a, it, was a, it was a cartoon when they were kids. That's how I knew about it, as my kids were around in that age. And it's this, this new app, it's rather intriguing. It mimics the cartoon pretty accurately, doesn't it? It's pretty cool. If you ever wanted to put your, had the fantasy of putting yourself inside of a cartoon, this one does a pretty cool job of it. Okay? Now let's see a show of hands. How many of you have the Pokemon Go app? Okay, let's keep the hands up. Keep the hands up. Who's been out past midnight looking for Pokemon? Okay? You can put your hands down now. I could ask all kinds. Who's, what, it's been out for about 10 or 11 days, I'm thinking. Okay, that's about right. I'm guessing that a lot of those hands that were just up have spent probably 20 hours or more playing Pokemon Go. Is that fair? No, nobody disagreeing with me. Nobody challenging me here. And don't worry, I'll get to, the, I'll get to my generation in a bit, okay? I'm going to flame you guys for a minute now. Guys, Pokemon, honestly, I'll be honest, the game interests me. It intrigues me. It looks really cool to play. You know why I don't? Because I'm so sick of everybody else being obsessed by it. That, that is why I haven't. I don't want to be a part of the obsession yet. And there's some good, there's some good to it. I know the campus people is planning a, uh, an outreach event on campus where they're having some deal, and, and it sounds like a really neat thing. I, I, I want to applaud it. But guys, I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. Of those of you that have the app, I'm just guessing that you may have spent more time on that app than you have reading your Bible in that time. Or more time than you spent on that app than you have reading your Bible and praying during that time. And you thought more about what you can do with that app than you have with how you can serve Jesus. I'm just getting, and that's just, guys, that's just one. You want to talk to my generation? Let's talk TV. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you're really up with things these days, because I have children, I am, there's this nice little thing called Netflix. Now, Netflix is nice because you can watch an hour show in about 42 minutes. That's efficient, right? Now, the problem... That's, that's a benefit. The problem is that you don't just watch one show. Once a week. You can sit down and watch the whole season in three days. You know, you hear people ask the question, what season are you on? Or you see them watching the same series a second time. Guys, we can go on and on and on and on. You know, how many of you talk politics more than you talk Jesus? How many of you give more thought and concern for the coming election than you do about how you can serve the King, Jesus, in the Kingdom of God? You see, guys, all those things, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. 
The problem comes when we give more attention to those than we do to the Word of God. When you do that, you're in Jesus' way. The last one here just kind of sums it all up, and that's just desires. The desire for other things. And that doesn't matter what that is. It kind of sums them all up all by itself. And then there's another blank on your notes that there's no answer for. I'm going to ask you to fill that in yourself. And if you want to get more specific, you can do that. What's your thorn? Or thorns? What get in your way? What What do you spend time and thought on instead of spending time and thought on having God's thoughts. There you go. There you go. That's how we can be in Jesus' way. Now, how do I get out of Jesus' way? How do I get out? Number one is I stop and examine my direction. Stop and examine my direction. Okay? That's what's going on here in Matthew 16 when Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. What's He telling him? You need to get out of where you're at. You need to stop the direction you're going. Stop having the thoughts you're having. And you need to take note of the problem. That's what He's asking you to do. As we talked about earlier, guys, Peter left everything to follow Jesus. He's sacrificing. He's not committing the big sins. He's going to small group. But he's thinking wrong thoughts. And for that to happen, for him to realize that, he's got to take us time to stop. And guys, I mean literally stop. I believe you want to know one of the best practices in your life that you can come up with if you want to be serious about following Jesus is the, is the practice of just literally stopping what you're doing. And sitting down and being quiet and letting God talk to you. On April 22nd of this year, I had my appendix out. I didn't plan on having that done. It kind of snuck up on me. And you know, people were calling and concerned and how you doing? And I, I very quickly realized something. This is the way I termed it. How was it? Well, God has hit the pause button. You know, because all of a sudden, I couldn't do everything I wanted to do. My wife wouldn't let me get on the roof to clean out the gutters. All I wanted was for her to get the ladder up, but she wouldn't do it. I had to hit pause. I couldn't run to work. If something went back at the, at, the, at, the, at the car wash, I couldn't go fix it. And so the question is, what am I going to do? I, it's time. Guys, you, we need to take pauses in our life that aren't forced on us. And I encourage you to do it every day. Turn the radio off. Turn the TV off. Turn the phone off. Open your Bible. And let God speak to you. Let Him show you the direction you're at. And we're going to get this a little bit more in a minute. But... You need to stop and examine. Look at these passages here that we find in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. First one here is in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 
33, it says, But if we had been examining ourselves, we would not come under judgment. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourself to see whether you are living in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? You see, guys, Peter had the privilege of speaking with Jesus face to face. And he kind of threw his thoughts out there and, and they were examined by Jesus. All he had to do is decide whether or not he was going to agree with Jesus or not. We require a little bit more seeking. And guys, I just want to challenge you. We just talked about earlier, you know, and, and generally, I, I believe everybody agreed with me when I said in my opening statement that all of us right now in some area of our life are in Jesus' way. Now the question is, do you want to find out where that area is? Because if you do, you need to examine. If you don't, don't stop. Just keep doing what you're doing. You see guys, the problem with Peter is that his thoughts were wrong. He says he had the thoughts of men and not the thoughts of God. The way you get the thoughts of God is by looking what God has revealed to us in His Word, the Bible. And guys, I want to offer to you a thought that I can believe that you need to embrace if you don't now. And that is the thought you find in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and 29. And that is the thought of becoming like Jesus. In Romans 8 and verses 28 and 29 is what it says. It says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For, you know, so many times you'll hear this verse quoted when, when, when something tragic or traumatic has hurt, has happened. And you'll hear somebody say, well, I don't know what God's doing, but I know He's going to work it good. He's going to make a purpose come out of it. And I just want to tell you two things about this. Number one is, you don't have to, this, this verse applies to so much more than bad situations. Because what it says is we know that in all things God works. Okay? You have something traumatic happen in your life. You have a, 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 a great loss. Yeah, God's working. And this verse tells you we know He's working because we know He works in all things. That means the little things. And it means that He has a purpose. And he goes on in the first verse. Most of the time people quote this verse and they don't go on to the next verse. You see, because the next verse, he tells us what that purpose is. And this is what it says. It says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
You see, you want to know what God's purpose in your life is that He's trying to work on in all things? He wants you to be like Jesus. That's it. Now the problem is, I don't believe we give enough airtime to becoming like Jesus in our mind. It was seven or eight years ago, I was reading a book and it spoke of this, and I just had to admit, that's not something I think about. I think about going to church, I think about being involved in church activities, I think about how to serve Jesus, how to be a leader in His church. But me becoming like Jesus, and that being the dominant purpose of my life, that wasn't there. Guys, that has to be the thought. Not can we catch them all. Unless you say, when you catch them all, this, this may be a trigger for you. I don't know if this will help you all or not, okay? But, and for those of you that don't know, gotta catch them all is the, is the, the kind of the slogan for the Pokemon game. Okay, you gotta catch all the Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. I do, I, anyway, I'll stop there. I told my daughter yesterday, I, there's a tree that fell down, I had to cut it up, and I said, I need those limbs dragged down there. Gotta drag them all. But guys, when you, when you think about this, gotta catch them all. Do you think, I gotta catch all the character traits of Jesus? I gotta catch them all. See, that's not my natural thought process. And I'll just be honest with you, I have a hard time grabbing it all now. I wanna catch some of the character traits of Jesus. You know, this part about suffering, I'd rather do without. This part about letting people think I'm wrong when I'm right, I'd rather do without that one too. Because I like being right. You see guys, but the question is, do I want the thoughts of man or do I want the thoughts of God? If I'm going to get out of Jesus' way and let His purpose be fulfilled in my life, I've got to want them all. I've got to want them all. Second thing, guys, if you're going to get out of Jesus' way, is you need to get real with God. Get real with God. I know this wasn't exactly what Peter was planning here, but I love it. In verse 22, it says, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I'm sorry, that's just comical. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He's speaking to God. <laughs> Dope. I'm sure that's what he thought as soon as Jesus started rebuking him. What was I doing? Guys, if you're going to be serious about examining your ways, you've got to let God show you who you really are. You have to reveal yourself to God. You've got to get real. I don't like standing up here and telling you that I, there's areas in my life where there's, there's character traits of Jesus that I don't naturally want to embrace. But that's the truth of the matter. And guys, that's what we have to do is we've got to get real with God. Show Him who we are now and embrace who He wants us to be. 
You see, guys, there's two ways you, uh, you talk about getting real with God. One is through confession. All right? And confession, you want a, a, a real easy way to understand what confession is. Confession is merely you agree with God. God says you shouldn't do that and you agree. I shouldn't do that and I do that. That's what it is. Um, you're seeing things the way He sees them. You're agreeing with Him. And you're confessing that, acknowledging them. The other, guys, is, is that you are going to seek out. You want to know. You tell God. You seek God in a way that says, I want to know what your thoughts are, God. You'll see this, you'll see this illustrated here in this Psalm 139. i got the first two verses of this Psalm and the last two verses. And I encourage you to go back and read it all. Got to read it all. Um, really catchy, you know that? It says, Oh Lord, You have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. And then he ends this psalm with, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. I would have to say he's getting real with God. He's acknowledging, God, you know me, and I want you to show me what's wrong with me. I want you to show me where my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Can I tell you guys, having that attitude right there when it comes to following Jesus is more important than attending events? Is more important than anything else we do. If we don't have this kind of attitude in following Jesus, we're merely being religious. Third thing you want to do if you want to get out of Jesus' way is you need to expect Jesus to respond. You need to understand He will respond. This morning I watched my favorite, favorite uh, scene from the movie Hoosiers. It's when uh, Gene Hackman's character, the coach, is coming in and talking to the father of one of the players who, is, uh, who has been coaching the kids. And Gene Hackman tells him very politely, uh, but bluntly, your coaching days are over. And the dad looks at the, looks at the coach and he says, Mister, there's two kinds of dumb. He says the first kind goes out and gets naked, goes out in the snow and barks at the moon. He says the second one does the same thing except it's in your living room. And the coach says, what's your point? He says, well, the second one I'm kind of forced to have to deal with. Guys, that's what's going on with Peter here. Jesus is forced to deal with. Jesus will show up. Now let me tell you, it's much better to invite Him to deal with it than it is to force Him to deal with it. 
When you look at this situation, I mean, this was wonderful for Peter. Peter found out where he stood before God. He found out his thoughts that were wrong. And that's a good thing. I have no desire to experience what Peter experienced that day. I have no desire to be standing before my friends, my closest friends, and have Jesus tell me, Get behind me, Satan. Is there anybody that would like to go through that? I don't think so. I would much rather Jesus say, Hey, walk up beside me, put my arm, put his arm around me, and say, Hey, you know, you've been asking me about, you know, what's not, where your thoughts don't agree with God's. Yeah, well, here's one. Let me tell you about it. Let me show it to you. And I, oh, man, that's right. Can I tell you guys, if you're asking God, if you're asking Jesus, He's going to walk up to you and put His arm around you and show you. It may still be difficult. It may still be a challenge. But guys, that's what He do. You can count on Jesus responding. See guys, in Hebrews chapter 12, this is what it tells us. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. What he's saying there is, if you're going to follow Jesus, God is going to treat you as His son. And He's going to train you to be more like Jesus. You see, it says that Jesus learned obedience through what He suffered. And here the, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we need to endure hardship as God training us. You see, because I don't know about you, but I, I like following Jesus. I just think it all ought to be easy. I do. And I mean, I want things a certain way. That's one of the struggles I have, is that I want things to go my way. You know, and just simple little things. You know, I believe, I, li I like to think that if I'm going to be up here on a Sunday morning, I need to get a good night's sleep. You know, that's what I, I, I believe I'm at my best if I get, get a good night's sleep. That means at one in the morning I don't get woke up by my dog like I did last night. And so I, I got woke up by the dog. I quickly put the dog outside and I go back to bed, but I've been awakened and I know my good night's sleep is gone. And all of a sudden I'm tempted with two things. Okay? Tempted with two things. One is there's a struggle to not feel like I'm going to give this my best or I'm not going to be at my best because I'm not got a good night's sleep, because the dog woke me up. And all of a sudden, a, a, little, a little Bible verse pops into my brain. Bing! James 1. Consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials of many kinds. That includes being woke up at one in the morning, but night before you have to preach by the dog. Consider it pure joy. So instead of being struggling, I'm choosing. I'll, I go to sleep then praying, thanking God for the opportunity to be tested. For the chance to choose to trust Him instead of trusting a good night's sleep. 
God is fully capable of helping me communicate on a bad night's sleep. Am I going to trust that and act that way? I was also tempted to blame my daughter and her friends for waking the dog up. Don't know that that was the case. Don't know that that was the case. I didn't hear him. I just was tempted to. And so I had to let go of that. Guys, what's my point? When you get serious about following Jesus and you want to have God's thoughts and you want to get out of His way, He's going to help you do it. He's going to help you do it through challenging things and He's going to help you doing it by showing you how to deal with the challenges. So guys, let me close out this morning. I I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what challenges you have, what worries you have, what concerns you have. But I know that every one of us has a challenge where we're getting in Jesus' way and we're not working with Him. Guys, I just want to encourage you to get out of Jesus' way. I want to encourage you to do that by consciously choosing your purpose as a follower of Him is to become like Jesus Christ. And even if that means you don't get to retirement the way you want, you're willing to do it. You want His thoughts, not man's. Let's pray. Father, thank You once again. Father, I thank You that You are gentle. Father, I know You have got my attention like You did, Peter, when I'm being really stupid. Father, I much prefer to seek You out and to have You show me Your ways in a kinder, gentler, fatherly way. Father, I thank You for that. Father, I just want to pray right now. I want Greater Alton to be known as a group of people who are trying to become like Jesus no matter what that means. And Father, I believe with all my heart that You're trying to get us to do that. To be that. That that hasn't been something we've been known for in the past. Father, that happens is when we choose as individuals that we want to be like Jesus. And that we seek You out. Father, I want to pray right now that everyone in this room can ask You on some level. Can ask You to show them where their thoughts aren't, do not agree with your thoughts. And that, Father, you do that in the gentlest but yet most obvious way possible. That you make your presence and your reality so clear to them. And they know that you are the Father that loves them and you want them out of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.